do we did he ever tell you about the the dash drama that happened over the last week uh no i am okay. not caught up with that okay maybe i'll after we roll the intro thing before we run into the the news stories i'll just do a very quick recap on that because uh i was on um carlos's show on the, D- the decor podcast yesterday and he asked me and so i feel like it's out so i might as well say something here so anyway okay. let me hit this yeah. uh intro thingy and we'll get right into it So, hey everyone, happy Friday. Good seeing you all. Thanks everyone for jumping in the live chat so far, and hopefully many more. And I'm joined by the one and only Scott Cunningham. How's it going, man? It's going good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, he's a free man out of the Canadian <laughs> slavery for the moment. But um, yeah. at the beginning, I'm going to mention the, the weird drama stuff. But before then, obviously, like, comment, share, subscribe, try to pump up the numbers and the algos and all that kind of stuff. If you want to leave a super chat, cointr.ee slash the desert links, leave a little donation and then it'll pop up just not in the last like 10 minutes of the podcast. Cause sometimes it takes a while to kick in and, uh, but yeah, you can also go on odyssey and leave one of their super chat, hyper chat thingies. And, um, unfortunately it's all crypto stuff at this point, but at some point I might figure out how to do a nice little, Fiat super chat bridge, although obviously straight in crypto is always kind of, um, it's always welcome. Ooh, quite a few people in the, in the chat. So before we get into the news stories, cause there's always, you know, the world's on fire and stuff. <laughs> welcome to another year, you know, 2020, 21, 22. Um, Gets better every year. <laughs> yeah. Some people asked on another show and elsewhere on Twitter about, Oh, they heard something about a dash drama thing going on, which is kind of funny. Uh, basically, Ryan Taylor, the person who the CEO of Dash Core Group, the guy who heads up the, the main development group under Dash, decided to step down and resign this last week. And the Dash is the first decentralized autonomous organization, so leaderless kind of, but as the person heading up the main development team, which got about half or maybe a little bit more of the money every month from the treasury, it's still a relative big deal. It really, I would say one could call him the principal dash figurehead. And in mm. 2014, Evan Duffield founded Dash and start and as the core team started to take shape over the next few years, uh, Ryan Taylor was the head of finance for the core team, basically doing all the the back end accounting type stuff. And then 2017, Evan walked away and did, did other stuff with his life, and then Brian sort of took over kind of instead. So for the last Five years, I guess you could say. Ryan was the principal figurehead of Dash, I guess. Not a very publicly visible one for a lot. And so basically uh, it was all of his own volition that he stepped down. However, it was not without a little bit of duress, I should say, because the network, um, I I would characterize it as there was building up, there is built up, um, dissatisfaction in performance and a catalyst for that was um, one of the PR firms that works under the network but doesn't work for the core team had had some friction between that and the core team that all centered around Ryan in some way and he came on to on the Dash podcast last Friday to talk about his side of the story and for the treasury cycle because every month Everyone in Dash has to earn their money every month, right? Every every stakeholder, master votes. And the for the first time in history, I think, the core team compensation proposal was not going to pass. It was like a few votes short. It, it, usually it passes by a huge margin and it was not going to pass. And so seeing the writing on the wall, Ryan decided to step down. And when he announced he had the votes reversed significantly and it's now extru- it, it passed by a huge margin after that. So... One could equate this to, I guess, the block size war of Bitcoin of 2017 or the hash war of Bitcoin Cash with Bitcoin SV or the Amari Suchet breaking off. It's one of those types of situations, except it happens so seamlessly, I guess, that uh, no one really noticed. In most people, Dash didn't even know it happened. 
Uh, I mean, a few hardcores did, obviously. But then people outside of Dash just don't even know that this happened for the most part. And so I thought, I, I think that that's a great testament to the first DAO actually working pretty well. And although I do have plenty of criticisms of the system, that I do think that the system could have worked more efficiently to avoid the situation happening the way it did. And now I think that it, th these kinds of tough conversations took years to boil over into some sort of an action. And so who knows, mm. maybe if the, and I, this is, this is going to be a, another video on my channel where I break down governance incentives and stuff. But if they were better in my personal opinion, a few years ago, this issue might've been these issues would have been addressed and possibly Ryan would still be heading the core team today only with a better responsive and more educated kind of um, focus based on, you know, more immediate feedback rather than, you know, not a lot of feedback. And then all of a sudden we're done with you. Boom. So that's just my personal opinion mm -hmm. on that. But yeah, it was, it's pretty interesting. So I don't know. Did, did you have any rumblings that anything like this had happened? Yeah, no, I, I hadn't heard anything about it. So I don't know. To me, that just sounds like an interesting example of like how DAOs operate and, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, an actual functioning good DAO. The people will come together, make a decision. And clearly it was it, it, it was smoothly uh, executed, I guess. I mean, because, again, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't hear anything. So pretty interesting, though. Um Hopefully, like that doesn't cause, you know, issues within the Dash community. Hopefully it's a positive note going forward. Yeah, uh, I I mean, I do think Ryan contributed quite a few valuable things, including he sort of pioneered the Dash Investment Foundation, which allows the Dash network to legally own property and equity in things such as Valkyrie and Ionia, the company behind the Dash Direct app. And stuff like that. So that's a that's a really cool thing. And I definitely, <laughs> too many times in the history of the DAO, I've seen valuable contributors come in and then get rejected and leave. And I hope mm. the best contributors have come in, taken a rejection, but stuck around and adjusted their contributions. And some of the ones who stuck around despite being rejected in the past are some of the more valuable contributors today. But um. That that mm -hmm. could be just an hours long conversation. Let's talk about digital gold. So, yeah, um, <laughs> but digital gold narrative valid as long as MicroStrategy holds Bitcoin. Says exact. <laughs> um, CryptoQuant CEO says as long as MicroStrategy holds Bitcoin, then the narrative of digital gold for Bitcoin still is applicable. Uh, it's a uh, it's a very strange arbitrary criteria for the digital gold thing, but in light of recent fluctuations and recent uh, worldwide drama um, based on the um, based on the price of gold and Bitcoin and stuff. What do you think of the digital gold narrative in 2022? Yeah, I mean, it's I wouldn't say just, you know, as long as Michael Saylor is holding it, then we're good. Um, you could make a similar argument if a massive holder of gold just started dumping all of their gold, then is gold mm. the gold narrative? I, it, it, Like, how would that be any different, in my opinion? But, I mean, you know, obviously they have a massive amount of Bitcoin, um, and that would obviously trigger a lot in the market if, if people were concerned that he was selling. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, for all the people who are actually have confidence and certainty in Bitcoin, I don't think that, they would say, oh, if, if he's selling, then I'm selling and, you know, it's it's done now. Because, like, I mean, before MicroStrategy even got into Bitcoin, you know, it was still it, like we were still going along doing the same stuff. It's not like now it's all contingent on just what he does. But I, I think there's a lot of institutions that are propping up Bitcoin. And I don't think it can go significantly lower because mm -hmm. they're not going to sell at a loss. Uh, but I mean, that's my, just my personal take, obviously not financial advice or anything like that. Yeah. Um, uh, on that, just the, the nuance of a company, uh, a company managing to keep holding it means it's like digital gold. Uh, it wouldn't be funny if like five large institutions decided to put like a 0.1% of their reserves into Dogecoin and decided to declare <laughs> it is 
digital doge or digital gold and then just yeah. not sell during a bit like and just ever like just as a joke like i'm sure they could collude as a joke and just like yeah. everything has been done with dogecoin it'd be more joke. of like a pr yeah <laughs> yeah and then like there you go like at, that's such an arbitrary and gamifiable metric you know mm-hmm. but or gameable metric i should say um, but now as far as like the digital gold thing is on the whole it does seem like in crisis situations or at least right now that um stocks and crypto including bitcoin seem to have not again this is just what my what i'm kind of sensing i don't check the prices of all these things very often but it does seem like they're not doing as well as gold does during a, a crisis situation and do you think that the digital gold narrative is maybe premature or incorrect or what do you think um i feel like we have kind of two things going on with everything happening in ukraine mm-hmm. people want to liquidate and get funds out so that they have you know money to just buy things um but then at the same time you know we have everything going on here in canada uh people are like okay i need i need more crypto so that i have mm-hmm. just some wealth at all um and especially here in canada where i think we are like the country that has the most digitized wealth like in the world Mm -hmm. so it's so so important that people are not relying 100 percent on centralized banks and stuff here in canada because they control the majority of our of our funds uh we don't rely on cash nearly as much as you guys we Mm -hmm. phased out um our paper money so fast it was yeah. like crazy how fast it was i've never seen a paper dollar since or i mean like i haven't seen a 20 dollar bill like a paper 20 dollar bill in years you just don't see that anymore at all so it, it's crazy how fast they phased out all of our uh older currency but yeah i would say uh people are also waking up and seeing that with all this craziness going on you kind of need to have crypto in your portfolio um, and I'm, I'm one of those people where like, I'm selling all my stocks, withdrawing all my cash. I'm buying Monero. I'm getting deeper into like privacy coins and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot going on. And I think it's going to be a balance of people liquidating because of like war times and people actually doubling down because of war times and, uh, because of everything going on with, uh, financial censorship and, you know, just all this craziness. Yeah, so it might be interesting to see. Um, it's it's funny because the in the, I would say like the U.S. for example, and Western Europe, there does it seems like crypto, including Bitcoin, is pretty speculative still, and, but then in in a lot of developing countries, probably the exact same thing, but then they're starting to become these unique spots where a country might need might be excluded from for example the swift system like has been threatened over russia and that's actually a Mm -hmm. that seems like a nice segue into the next story actually but uh, or for example in canada where the cash economy because people really went into cash at the beginning of 2020 in the u.s and i know there was almost like a run on the banks where they were restricting cash withdrawals you know, significantly and like telling people they can't get their own money out and stuff like that. Just, it was a very like surface level brief bit of scariness there, but it didn't seem to like Mm -hmm. get as bad as things got in Canada. But then the thing is with a cash free, relatively cash free Canada, I guess with a high degree of censorship and uncertainty, you know, where it's like, all right, your transaction is being monitored. If you donated any of these, you could have your funds frozen, like all this kind of stuff that now just spooks people. Like, oh, wow. Like I know some of those people that don't like, you know, this this could affect me. Uh, it kind of makes sense that now you could start seeing a, res- a reversal in the speculative nature of crypto in, let's just say Canada and Russia to begin with, right? Yeah, I mean, just for me personally, I've sort of put like, price as like not as important anymore it's kind of like a backseat mm-hmm. to like anonymity privacy actually knowing that i securely have access and control over my wealth it, 
I mean, I've always been a big proponent of that and you know that. And I mean, mm -hmm. I, I do a lot of the same stuff that you do with like actually using mm -hmm. and spending crypto, but it's never, there's never been a more important time to actually be getting into the crypto space and at least having a portion of your wealth protected. Previously, I would just say a portion, but now I'm kind of of the mind that almost all of my wealth should be in crypto to avoid any kind of like governmental overreach or, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever it happens to be. Cause you've also got all the exchanges in Canada capitulating and even the CEO of Kraken saying, yes, they will take your money. Please withdraw it. Um, so it, it's pretty crazy that you, you even see the exchanges themselves saying, yes, don't keep your money on our exchange, withdraw it, and do not keep it here. So I think a lot of people are waking up, um, and people who might have not taken it as seriously and they're just like, oh, I just want to invest are at the very least like their their ears are probably pricking up and they're like, oh, OK, maybe I need to just make this little wallet thing and figure out what this thing is because it actually matters now. Um, it always obviously mattered, but in their mind, it probably wasn't that important. But yeah, uh, as you pointed out, uh, fear will bring people into the space and 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 they'll be looking for new solutions that crypto provides. Yeah, I think it was on a show yesterday, we were talking about what crisis events really made crypto go up. Because every single time we hear about a crisis event, crypto goes down, including like China bans Bitcoin, whatever. Boom. However, we kind of forget that was it the whole Cyprus issue is what really catapulted crypto into the main mainstream purview. Like, Basically, this exact like extreme financial censorship kind of thing in Cyprus started to really mm -hmm. get people to notice crypto to begin with. And so I would say that that's like, like Cyprus is the start of the speculative bubble because all of a sudden people started to jump into crypto thinking it's going to save them from censorship. But then they just started like hanging out and making a bunch of money and, you know, buying the dip and all this kind of nonsense. Well, not nonsense, but you know, a bunch of speculative stuff. And then each real world occurrence just knocks it down a little bit. And then eventually the actual fundamentals, which I think are very much outpaced by the hype in crypto almost across the board, eventually, like as the, the fundamentals start to catch up, we're just going to start to see major um, traumatic things happening in the world, having a less of effect on the price. And once when those actually start to bump the price, then you're, then we're back in the Cypress zone. Then we're back in where uh, crypto is actually going to be pushed into more mass adoptive kind of situations. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, I think um, you know, before I mention this Apple Pay thing, um, the nudge sends a hyper chat on Odyssey says, Hola, Joel and Scott from El Salvador. Hi, the nudge. Have fun over there. Don't get stabbed by a maxi. Uh, anyway... <laughs> So Apple Pay to, to halt support for Russian banks sanctioned on war in Ukraine. Russia cashed out over $1.3 from banks on the first day. The Russians cashed out on the first day of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the largest amount since the onset of COVID-19. And um, several Russian banks have been sanctioned over Russia's special military operation in Ukraine, will no longer support major payment services like Apple Pay and Google Pay. So that's that's kind of an interesting um, angle on things is uh, Russia, right? The, the government of Russia is engaged in a military operation. But the people of Russia are just saying like, oh shit, this is not going to be good for us. And so they're mm -hmm. scrambling to get money out of banks because they know what's coming is other countries are going to use sanctions and... Uh, like uh, as we've already seen sanctioned banks, like you can't, if you had a Russian bank and you were using Apple pay to pay stuff, now you can't do that anymore. Like they can't go through, go through that anymore. And so people have preemptively been doing a run on the Russian banks. So I don't know. What's your hot take on that bit? Something that I hadn't really considered until now. Um, mm -hmm. Russia had mentioned that they were going to come out with their own uh, stable coin for Russia. Right. Mm. I think like I believe they said they has. were working on like yeah yeah so I mean everyone says they're working on that but when I think about that and I think about sanctions and stuff like that then it makes me think okay well 
what if they sanctioned Russia's stable coin? Mm-hmm. Like, would centralized coins actually be? Well, I mean, obviously, the com- uh, the countries themselves obviously think that would be a good idea. But kind of thinking that through now, I'm thinking, okay, that would actually almost be worse because it would be even easier for other countries to prevent you from being able to use that Russian stablecoin uh, in their markets. So if anything, uh, these like centralized currencies would cause more problems if you weren't using something decentralized like Bitcoin. I think uh, what this really shows is that uh, things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that are actually decentralized can provide an amazing solution so that you're not running to the banks and hoping that you can get whatever money is left over. Um, And I know at least here in Canada, banks only have to legally keep like 8%, I believe, of their money and they can loan out the rest. So it wouldn't take a ton of people withdrawing from the bank to just crash the banks entirely. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's Very it's close to that number in most countries, mm-hmm. um, like around the 10% range. But uh, yeah, so I'm interested to see how Russian banks are actually affected by this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, like, and it also shows like something like BitPay through Apple Pay is very centralized and it also highlights you know when paypal says eventually they're going to uh, allow you to spend your crypto through paypal uh, you should be very weary because for all you know you could not spend it at all in russia or whatever they end up deciding so you do not want to take your decentralized coins and put them in a centralized service and then be kind of mercy like at their mercy of what they decide and that's kind of what we're seeing with like Apple and these other payment processors, I would say. Well, it, it's um, it's interesting to see how that's shaping up because um, I can easily see a CBDC scenario for these countries, but again, it doesn't stop capital flight, you know, because if everyone, you know, the e-ruble or whatever they end up calling it, if people just end up blocking that, then that doesn't really work out but so you could still use a you know a global commo- digital commodity such as say a bitcoin as a sandwich mm-hmm. in between those things where you could swap your usd coin or whatever the hell the fed, fed coin you know whatever nonsense that they're going to do there or in this country maybe you could swap that for bitcoin and then sw- swap the Bitcoin for e-ruble or whatever, and then kind of get around there. And so uh, obviously the two on the either end are still going to be highly censorable, terrible, <laughs> you know, coins. But just the, the ease of transfer that's like, it's not the banking system, which is so like antiquated. If someone just lets you swap these things on Uniswap or something, well, not obviously, obviously not Uniswap if they're not like ERC-20 tokens, but like, let's just say ThorChain, right? Let's say, Thor, yeah, I was just gonna say Thor swap. Yeah, yeah. If you just do it there, then it's like you can kind of go between these sorts of things. Although, um, I'm not sure if you'll be able to use CBDCs on Thor chain because you have to have like because of the per, the the na- the technical nature of these of the coins, you have to be able to write a uh, message. It has to be an irreversible transaction. Otherwise, they wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to. You know the pool operators would never accept it. They have to have some some criteria that would basically make it very difficult to do. But in which case, CBDCs might just be, you know, Google PayPal two point like nothing really that great, and people yeah, still be exactly. looking to, to stay in crypto. You know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on um, blacklisted Bitcoin that they did here in Canada? Because I think that's really interesting because, for example, say I had blacklisted Bitcoin and I wanted to get rid of it, obviously. So I put it into a Bitcoin ATM and I got my crypto out. But then someone Mm. else comes along and they put money into the Bitcoin ATM and they buy that uh, that that blacklisted Bitcoin and then they try to sell it on an exchange and then it just gets taken away from them or you go on ThorSwap and you trade your blacklisted Bitcoin to someone else for something else. And then they mm-hmm. try to go on an exchange and use the blacklisted Bitcoin. Uh, and then they lose all of their funds 
when they had no idea that that was even possible or could happen. But like, what are your thoughts on that? That's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out because at some point it's very difficult to maintain that connection of like what is blacklisted Bitcoin and what isn't. Um, mm-hmm. Bitcoin addresses are much, much easier to blacklist, right? It's like it comes from here, yeah. it goes there. But so I just had the, uh, the guy behind the samurai wallet on just like a couple hours ago. And he was breaking down the intricacies of CoinJoin and how that works and how different wallet implementations have had some like security vulnerabilities in there and stuff. But basically, if done correctly with a CoinJoin, you should be able to just, you know, completely obfuscate everything, right? And that doesn't mean that you cannot find ways of tracing through other data right so for example if you buy 10 bitcoin on an exchange in canada and then you it all goes into a big mixer and it all gets coin joined around and stuff and then there is a and then you go on the run to south africa and then there's four south african exchanges all open up an uh, all open up an account with your name or with a, even if it's like a fake name, if it's like the same IP address, it's all, and then it happens to be 10 Bitcoin worth of value goes in there. People, even if they, they can't actually trace the money on the blockchain, they can trace the activity be up from, you know, mm-hmm. off chain data from like metadata and other things. Uh, so that's probably where a lot of more of the forensics are going to start happening. I mean, someone buys a, you know, a big pile of Zcash and then, where they think this person is a whole bunch of purchases start going through in a bunch of like darknet markets or whatever in Zcash in the kinds of amounts that weren't happening before they could figure it out. Right. It doesn't matter how encrypted everything is, but so the thing that's about, why, that's yeah. why you use a VPN and you trade on a platform that has no KYC and no identifiable information mm-hmm. and use an alias. <laughs> yeah. Use Tor whenever you can. Don't use your, google id for whatever like there's a there's a whole the the privacy rabbit hole is never ending but uh the thing about like blacklisted bitcoins is you can easily i guess mix them now and so i don't see that being a long-term problem unless coin join becomes if it's been coin joined at any juncture in the past then it becomes a problem if that's the case Mm -hmm. um that's going to be a problem the problem the thing is no one is going to use, um, in the future, Bitcoin and Ethereum, especially Ethereum and ones like that, the way they are today with the level of privacy, i.e. like basically none for Ethereum and very little for something like Bitcoin. No one's going to use that. They're going to want some sort of basic guarantees that they're not going to have some robber figure out how much money they have and then just break their kneecaps and attack their home, you know? So there will be some sort of a expectation of privacy if this starts to be used on a large scale. And I think it will be used on a large scale. So I don't think that the coin join thing, if coin joined coins are going to be blacklisted for being coin joined, my personal opinion is that, uh, for example, Zcash that has been shielded previously will also be blacklisted or Monero completely will be blacklisted or things Mm -hmm. like that. I don't, at least that's what makes sense. And everything that hasn't made sense in crypto regulations in the past, in my view, has mostly been because of a lack of information and uh, authorities are becoming much more educated on the subject. So yeah, I don't really see the blacklisted Bitcoin thing being too much of a problem unless like, if they can tell it's blacklisted Bitcoin, that means whoever stole something, which I mean, that's probably why it's blacklisted. Someone stole something, then they didn't cover up their well, tracks well it, enough. In, yeah, I mean, in Canada, you could just mm-hmm. donate five dollars to the wrong cause, and you'll get blacklisted. But you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, then in that case, then it's so. Let's just say you have one Bitcoin. That's all you, all money you got, just one Bitcoin, and you decide I'm going to donate point one Bitcoin to let's just say the truckers right um you send one bitcoin there 
and you get 0.9 Bitcoin of that back as a change. You get that in change. And so they see, okay, this transaction to these people, and this one came back, wherever this dude moves his money, he donated to the truck. He's a bad person. We're not going to, anyone who donated to them, all their funds are suspect now. And mm-hmm. obviously that's a, that's a shitty situation. Uh, if that were the case, probably the financial censorship would end up reaching the KYC level, meaning um, in a lot of these cases, they would say who donated this if they could find that out. And then that person would, and at that point, it's not at the crypto level anymore. It's just you as an individual, they don't like you. But as far as like, Mm -hmm. if they don't know who you are, they just know it's some person donated to this and wherever they spend their money, I guess you just do a coin join and then you're, I mean, not, that's not that simple, but if you do a good coin join through something like the Samurai wallet, then you should probably be able to then spend it and not worry about that unless coin join funds, period, are blocked, mm-hmm. which I have noticed some of these exchanges, like swap exchanges, um, will try to KYC you if you send coin join funds there, which, you know, mostly really? they're not like KYC. which, Like which ones? Um... um like I know Changely, the top of your head. Changely has been one oh, okay. I've heard mentioned a few times. I know they've been, um, oh, it's funny because uh, one of my buddies who worked for the, the Dash Dow um, tried to do some Changely thing and they tried to KYC him and they, and they wanted to know like where he got this money from. He's like, I like from the, the treasury, the Dow, because the history of the coins is just like from the sky to him. And then he sent it to Changely like, well, where <laughs> did you buy it? I didn't buy it. I got them from the cloud, from the sky. And then after like you finally proved like, look, here's the proof that I work for Dash currently. They're like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. You don't have to KYC. By the way, can you like promote us on your site? So I mean, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) It's like, but so one thing I've noticed because uh, again, I no guarantees here, right? This is just, I got to stop using Changely if that's the case. I think it's a lot of these things, especially if it's like over a thousand dollars in a in a chunk or something, tend to mm. you know some of these kinds of things they tend to to trigger things. But also, one thing I've noticed is if you, or one thing I've I've heard rumor of, let's just say, if you coin join funds to a wallet and then just send a regular transaction out of that, then that does not trigger it. It's just the coin join itself. It's like they, they detect too many inputs in there and they're like, oh, this is a mixed transaction. So that might okay, be a way around it or whatever. But I mean, so it seems that ThorSwap would be like the kind of main solution for decentralized swaps, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's fair enough. That's basically what you'd have to do. Now, I have to figure out some more things on how the intricacies of ThorSwap would work as far as like, because as it stands, I think you have to connect a wallet and then you do the swap from in and out of the wallet, right? So you have your, you can, and so at that point, is there like a a linkage between, let's just say the Bitcoin you get in and the Ethereum you get out or whatever? Like, is there a linkage that just says, oh, I can see that that's the same wallet? I don't know. I'll have to, you know, I'll have to dig into the more privacy aspects of that. But it seems like people are representing that with ThorChain, you should be able to just do Bitcoin in, Monero out, and then diddle around with that, and then Monero in, Bitcoin out, and then your your tracks are covered kind of a thing. But mm-hmm. that that that's going to be... So- yeah, that's going to be something to look into. My uh, original understanding of ThorSwap was that it was like using smart contracts, but I think that's not actually correct. Do you have a better understanding of like what makes it the actual like only true decentralized cross-chain swap exchange? Like how is it better than like Changely or SideShift, for example? Um, So... Changely and SideShift and things like that are companies. And so they just, everything's centralized. You send them some money and then they'll do it. They can choose to withhold your money if they want to. Now, mm-hmm. ThorSwap being built on ThorChain is an actual decentralized swap service. And 
Thor chain itself, the underlying network, does use smart contracts, and you know, to in order to kind of execute everything. But so the thing is, usually when you have these DEXs, these decentralized exchanges, they're mostly built on Ethereum, and that's the only reason they can work is they're built on something with like a native token. So because mm-hmm. the programming language is in the blockchain itself to where like, I want to swap USDC for, you know, pancake token or whatever. And it's like, that's all on the blockchain. Now, Thorchain lets you do native cross-chain swaps. And the challenge behind that, of course, is Bitcoin doesn't have smart contracts. A lot of these don't have programming language like into a lot of these don't have in their programming language anything to actually do the swap itself. So literally what it does, from my understanding, from what Chad explained to me, oh, you have, say, Bitcoin. What happens is you send Bitcoin into the Bitcoin pool and in the op return code part of the thing where you can attach a message with the transaction, it just says, I want this, I want dogecoin out at to this address and in for this rate or something there's enough information that goes in there so you can inscribe that into a just a very small amount of stuff into the actual thing so when you send it in then the rune like the smart contract stuff kicks in where they say you know if you receive this amount with this kind of message then execute the actual trade on the smart contract level out to this address and that's why there have been some like challenges in, for example, enabling Monero because Monero addresses are huge. They're really long and they're too big to fit in the Bitcoin opportun thing. So you can't swap Bitcoin for Monero, right? Well, Monero is not on the exchange anyway right now, but you can't swap it for Monero right now because they can't figure out how to fit a Monero address into a Bitcoin transactions data entry spot. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're trying to figure out like a Thor name, like a shorthand, where it's kind of like a like a .eth domain type deal to where that's what you'd put in and that ends up extrapolating into the actual Monero address that otherwise wouldn't fit into the into the um opportun thing. But so it's okay, that makes sense. It's a very comp it's a very tough thing to solve. It's almost like magic. Like how do you solve yeah. like cross native cross-chain defi without every chain you use having smart contracts? And so that's that's one of the reasons why I've been more patient with Thorchain's bugs and hacks and things like that is because they're they're doing a really big task, you know. Yeah, no, I mean that makes a lot of sense. I'll I'll be uh, doing an interview with him uh, when I start when I start ramping things up again in uh, Q two, um, mm-hmm. so that'll be really cool to see. But uh, yeah, I mean I did a video on it and I did a lot of swaps and testing it out and stuff, and mm-hmm. I think it works great. Um, obviously the options are limited, but they're always working to add new stuff. So, uh, it's pretty awesome and it's the fastest too. So that's also really nice. Yeah. And that, that's the, um, I'm really excited about Thorchain in a lot of different ways. Uh, as far as I know, next they're adding Terra Luna. So you could then mm-hmm. use UST, like the, the, what people are calling the best stable coin out there. You know, again, I haven't done my research super well, but and you know, you can stake it for 20%, which is nice. Um, Five back dollars. Actually, actually, mm-hmm. no, let's let's make sure we address this. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that, okay, anything mm-hmm. that I see that is above 15%, I always know it's not staking. Yeah. And, or, or there's some caveat. So I, so when my friend said 19%, I said, that's not staking. And he said, it is. And yeah. I said, okay, let's let's find out. So Subsidy. I go and I, I deposit because mm-hmm. it's not in my wallet. And then I knew mm-hmm. right away that it, it, it's like lending or it's something else because mm-hmm. I could have yeah, done it through a smart contract. It's not in my wallet. It's on their platform. So it's lending. And it's I think what it actually is, what I looked into it was, an arbitrage between like ANC and UST or something like that. I can't Mm -hmm. remember exactly what it was, but uh, it wasn't staking. So I was like, "Ah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised because that's not the case. Technically, definitely not technically staking. It is a lending thing. And from my understanding, again, I haven't looked too much into this. I haven't looked done due diligence enough, but I've heard from people who have that it's heavily subsidized by the creator right now, that there's like a subsidy fund Mm. to get people into this thing. 
because the amount of lending on the platform is not equal, is nowhere near enough to sustain these kinds of APYs you're getting on the, um, yeah. on the, you know, on that side. But, um, that's kind of neither here nor there. We did get a super chat here from nudge says, do you have a plan? Do you have plans for a podcast studio to host guests in person? Uh, yes, not here. I will be moving in not too long, but when I, when I get a, a new and revamped everything, you're definitely going to see they're going to, there's going to be a, an in-person studio thing. Most of it will be just like this because the logistically, I mean, Scott, have you ever done any in-person uh, interviews or podcasts or whatever? I did one, uh, one time at uh, the futurist conference in Toronto uh, but I mean, it was like at the conference, so it was like just terrible audio and it was just not good at all. But like, <laughs> yeah. I did, I did do it one time. Yeah. Yeah. It is like the logistics of more than one person. I just get really annoying. Um, yeah. <laughs> just because of the way that, that whole thing works. But yes, I w- I'll, I'll figure out a way. I mean, get the lighting good and get like a seat right and get, get more microphones and, you know, the in-person, um, like the Joe Rogan experience kind of thing. It's like, yeah, it's fine. But like how many of the crypto people live in your, your town? Like how much can you, I mean, I, I'm lucky that I am in an area with a, a bunch of guests I could possibly get in person that are applicable to the show, but not, that would still be like 10% maybe. Right. Like the rest is just yeah. still mostly yeah. going to be this setup. Um, but and it's hard to just like hit up like, you know, just a normal casual creator and be like, hey, want to fly out to have a conversation, yeah. you know, like and... unless it's like a hard hitting thing, it's hard <laughs> to like be like, hey, want to like invest like thousands of dollars into this thing, like into this yeah. trip and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that yeah, ain't balling like lot. that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's, you can't comp their flights, right? So, but like, as, um, there have been some crypto bigwigs who have flo- floated up here through New Hampshire. And so I could definitely take advantage of that, but you know, it wouldn't be the, the meat and bones, but let's go to this. Um, Anton Bukov, the co-founder of one inch networks thinks that Ethereum will likely become the main settlement layer for a multi-chain decentralized finance DeFi ecosystem. He says there's a high chance that most chains will try to commit their states to Ethereum as a higher layer. And um, he says, I know, of course, conditional on the Ethereum network uh, scaling, but he says he's not interested in Bitcoin, which he sees as unsuitable for developing smart contracts. He says, I respect Bitcoin technology because it was the invention of all this industry, for sure. But it makes absolutely no sense for any blockchain developers. Um, Anyway, what do you think of that hot take real quick? I think those kinds of takes are the worst because it's like taking something that's not at all meant for the thing and then being like, like, this is what people do. They go, um, Doge is so good for buying things because it's way cheaper than Bitcoin. And I go, yeah, but it's like 70 times more expensive fee wise than Dash. Mm -hmm. So like you, you just compare something completely like not apples to apples and then you're like see it, it won and it's like yeah uh it should win in that situation mm-hmm. like i wouldn't expect people to be looking at bitcoin to be like building out dApps and stuff so i think it's kind of like pointless to even mention that i mean obviously people are going to be building on ethereum and smart contract based uh like cryptocurrencies and I, I hate it when people do this because it's just it makes no sense. And it's like just to kind of like dunk on Bitcoin or like people who don't like Bitcoin to kind of like gain favor there. <laughs> I, I'm i not totally sure what it is. I mean, obviously, one inch is on Ethereum, so it's 100 percent biased anyways. Yeah, um, that he's like, hey, this is so much better. And it's like, well, yeah, it's literally what you built on. So um, but yeah, I, I think it's silly when people compare something like Ethereum, which is literally built for developers against something mm-hmm. like Bitcoin, which is literally built to be like a digital gold. I mean, originally it was more of like a digital cash, but uh, it's definitely used today as a digital gold, I would argue. Um, yeah. So it's it's crazy when they make these comparisons. The thing is, um, the comparison, it's funny because we've 
entered this era of like ETH maximalists, which I never thought would come around, which is kind of a little bizarre. Yeah. But uh, I think it's kind of interesting. I get the the point wasn't maybe phrased very well, but I kind of get the point if you're trying to think about a global financial system and people say, oh, the Bitcoin standard, you know, buy my book, all that kind of stuff, uh, as like the main settlement uh, asset that everything else kind of goes in and out of. But the thing about that is in order to settle, in order to bridge between Bitcoin and other assets, you need something smart contract capable. And the gorilla in the room is Ethereum. And Ethereum has a native token. So I'm kind of wondering because I think like Swift 2.0, right? Maybe not Swift 2.0, but like the financial mm. backbone of the future might be Ethereum. I'm It's way too early to tell anything like that, but it's just like, what is all the infrastructure going to run on? Like the Uniswaps of the world, like everything is going to run on ethereum or something like ethereum and then in order to use that you need ethereum and it's just of course you can have everything in like wrapped bitcoin tokens and stuff that are trading back and forth but one thing that's easier to trade or easier to have as a, a stable thing would be just not wrap just ethereum <laughs> like you know not even take the bitcoin and wrap it so i'm kind of wondering if you're just gonna first off the bitcoin blockchain is going to be used extremely I'm already noticing it's being used less and less, which is why fees are pretty damn good right now. They're just like a few cents. Like why use Lightning when you can just kind of use on-chain Bitcoin and it works pretty well. And that's probably mm -hmm. gonna be more in the future where almost every trade is gonna be on like a wrapped, like a wrapped Bitcoin on an Ethereum network or something. So most of the financial stuff going on there is gonna be that way. And then you're gonna have start having um, people actually be able to use Bitcoin on, on the main chain. But it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of uh, morphs, how that kind of changes, especially since one of the things that people like about Bitcoin is its security. And over time, as the the fees go aren't going up and as the um, as the hash, as the uh, inflation goes down, it'll become increasingly less secure, I would think, especially compared to something like Ethereum maybe and also with the eip 1559 economics where ethereum might become deflationary you know it'd be hard to tell whichever way it ends up going um but then it might end up being that ethereum's this the sounder money from it being more secure and more um more secure and more scarce as well as being what you need to do anything financially in the new financial system. So I understand like the ETH maximalist angle from not the maximalist necessarily, but I understand the ETH being the backbone of the new economy kind of thing and Bitcoin kind of losing its place angle. Um, the thing is, I don't know. <laughs> it's way too early to tell. And I would not have guessed that Bitcoin would have the place it would today with the functionality it has today. I would have thought that Bitcoin would ha retain its number one spot by scaling, for example. And I don't know. I don't know anything anymore, huh? The more I learn, the less I know. Yeah, I mean, the way that I've described it for a few years is um, Bitcoin is competing for the gold market share mm -hmm. and Ethereum is competing for the stock market share. Mm -hmm. that's the way that I've always looked at it. And that's how I've always described it to people. Um, so like, I, I, I never really considered them like competing. Um, I've always looked at gold as the, I mean, Bitcoin as like gold and it's scarce. And while Ethereum could become deflationary, it would still be entirely reliant on volume and it could become undeflationary and inflationary again at any point after that. Um, and, I would argue that a lot of scarce related value and like um, what makes Bitcoin more valuable than Ethereum is the certainty around it, mm. uh, because that is what brings a lot of value or at least the confidence in the value of something is that Bitcoin, there's so much certainty uh, in, you know, exactly how many there's going to be. 
um, you know, how many there are today, how many there are tomorrow. We don't know if Ethereum is going to scale properly. We don't know if it's going to become deflationary or become deflationary and then inflationary after that or just stay inflationary. There's significantly more uncertainty. Um, mm. And thus, I, I, I think that's a large part of it as well. I mean, I do think Ethereum is going to be huge. It's going to be like the stock market. So to some degree, bigger than Bitcoin because it's bigger than the gold market. But mm -hmm. having the Bitcoin is just as important as like having gold. I think it's more defensive uh, as an asset. And like I'm more secure in my Bitcoin value than I am in my Ethereum value. And, and maybe that's not true because, you know, like people could keep selling Bitcoin and when Ethereum 2.0, if it rolls out, rolls out. Um, well, I mean, it's not called that anymore, whatever they're calling it instead. Um, but, you know, that could also skyrocket the value and eventually people could start saying that's the new Bitcoin. But I still think that Bitcoin is going to be that scarce value of like gold that people are looking for. Ethereum's kind of like the stock market. Yeah. And then all the shit coins are like penny stocks in the in the stock market, sort of competing for Ethereum's share. And Ethereum's like all the blue chip stocks. That's the way that I would kind of equate it to like a normie uh, if I was going to explain uh, why I'm investing mainly in Bitcoin and Ethereum over other coins. Yeah. I mean, the one unanswered thing with Bitcoin is going to be the profitability of mining and the security because mm. that's the you mentioned a lot of certainty which has value and stability um the un, that's one thing that's uncertain is how how are you going to pay the bills on the network so mm -hmm. it seems like off-chain scaling through a variety of reasons of avenues not most of which is lightning network that's for sure most of which is probably you know, centralized institutions just cutting out a lot of the on-chain transactions. Um, we're just not seeing that same level of security long-term. So there's there's a possibility, and this is, this is the weird situation that Bitcoin finds itself in. It either has to scale on-chain in some way, which I don't think is a problem, but it's a very big political problem, probably less with each passing year when people forget the block size war, but it, right now it's like, Oh, we can't, can't increase the block size too terrible. You know, they have to do that in order to have growth on the network which to permit fee growth and security, or they have to introduce a tail emission like Monero and have a limitless supply, but just very small inflation, like one or 2% a year. And one of those two, two things has to happen. And I think the 21 million hard cap is the most sacred of all these. And mm -hmm. right, the block size thing is also pretty sacred, but maybe it'll become less sacred as the years pass on. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. And I mean, you know, they're finding ways to incentivize or maybe not incentivize, but better utilize mining. So, for example, mm -hmm. I can't remember which city in Vancouver or not Vancouver in B.C., it might be Vancouver or a city nearby it, but uh, I think it was in November that they were using the heat generated from Bitcoin mining to heat entire apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. So they're finding ways to make it profitable uh, outside of the normal conventions, I guess. So like they're heating entire buildings with Bitcoin excess heat uh, in the winter Things like that, I think, are really cool innovations to uh, like further where Bitcoin mining can actually go. And, you know, like El Salvador is like mining with a, a volcano and all this crazy stuff going on as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I hope that that will actually increase security, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the block size um, debate is always going to be... Uh, a hard a hard question to uh for me i mean i don't know if bitcoin's ever going to have like another major uh like fork or, or a big change in what they're actually going to uh like do with it so i don't know if it's like accepting that or or if people think like we do need something to move on with it or 
I don't know. It's uh, it's hard to say, but I'm still going to hold Bitcoin up there as my sacred like gold investment and Ethereum as my yeah. my stocks. But I might be um, I might be a boomer in this space. Um, people tend to call me conservative for having Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum as my main investments and not really diving into all the other stuff. I mean, you know, I have Rune and I have Matic and stuff like that, but um, a very, very small portion. Yeah, I mean, those are the things that have been proven so far. Other things, the use case has been very well proven, but the actual consistent use is not. And that's going to be it's another interesting thing where I think Rune has the, Thorchain has the capability of being the next Ethereum in a lot of ways, which sounds like it's the most like stupid hypey way of saying this and stuff. So I apologize already for that. But it's because if you have, you know, Bitcoin is a settlement asset and then the financial markets all run on Ethereum, you can't run the entire world financial system on Ethereum, which is never going to scale like that. They'll have to be on, you know, uh, L2 solutions or maybe on completely separate networks. Like let's just say the, the Binance smart chain network is definitely going to be something. Then you got like Solana avalanche, you know, Luna, you got like so many of them. And at some point though, they're, they're little closed, closed loop ecosystems and they need to be able to interact with each other. So like if you're yield farming on, you know, Pangolin decks or whatever, and at some point you want to get into the NFT market on OpenSea, you're going to need to go to Ethereum and a seamless cross-chain bridge, which might be Thorchain, seems to make a lot of sense in that world where you have a whole bunch of different ecosystems kind of working together. And of course, there will be other Thorchains. There's already a Thorchain fork that's going to be released pretty soon. But as like the oh, okay. first one, the big first one, you know, it's just like Ethereum. I don't think that the way Ethereum works m merits it to be where it is. I think that it's the way it works when nothing else did that is what gets it to its position. So Thorchain might be like the next in that kind of thing that like that next big use case, but you know, remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would also add that, um, you know, Binance, Smart Chain, Terra, stuff like this. Um, they're all coming in to be like ETH killers, but you know, their fees are already starting to, uh, to stack up because I use mm -hmm. all of them pretty frequently. And, you know, if they're if uh, Terra's already costing me like a few bucks and it's so new, I can't imagine what it's going to cost in the near future unless mm -hmm. I'm missing something. But like I was staking Terra for a bit and I, you know, I would claim my Terra and then I'd lose a bunch of it through the gas fee. And then I was like, OK, well, what am I doing here? I, I mainly just stake um, Cosmos like Adam now. Um when I want to actually like make money from staking. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to me that these, these new like ETH killers are already starting to stack up their fees. I mean, obviously nothing compared to what ETH is right now, but mm -hmm. uh, after ETH scales, it might even be cheaper than a lot of these chains, ironically. Yeah, it could be. And that is kind of crazy to see, especially some of these like Avalanche have a relatively low, amount of activity on the chain for how expensive it's gotten that's a little exactly little concerning uh but then you have stuff like wax which is getting way more activity than any other blockchain but has no fees kind of but then they're starting to hit some congestion issues now and like i think that honestly scaling everything onto one chain is going to be just really horrendously daunting i don't think that everything people want to do on decentralized architecture is going to be on one chain. They're going to need to do it along dozens of chains, you know? So like, mm -hmm. but as far as like a, a few payment networks, you, you know, you can have a lot of that on like one big one, right? Especially if like all the, if the primary way people are trading Bitcoin around is on Ethereum and other things, then a, you, the one network can kind of support everyone's basic kind of money needs possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like Thor is kind of building out what would be the like DeFi verse, 
mm-hmm. that makes sense. Because a lot of yeah. people conflate Ethereum with like Ethereum is the metaverse. And I'm like, that's that's a little bit hyperbolic. I mean, to say Ethereum is the metaverse and the metaverse is too expensive and it's not possible. It's like, okay, calm down. Like Ethereum is not the only possible thing that can be the metaverse. Plus, I mean, the metaverse today is is all on centralized stuff and it's all mm. like Roblox and Second Life and Facebook's meta and stuff like that. Or, you know, if you get into the weeds with like crypto games, they're all just NFTs with a centralized video game that lets you access those NFTs. Uh, mm-hmm. And if any of that centralized stuff went away, all you would have left is the NFT, no metaverse, you know? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of that is all fluff. I mean, that's just kind of like on a side note. Yeah. So it's, um, it's kind of a, like to add a, a, a very boomer friendly um, allegory to this whole thing. Bitcoin could be like cities and, Ethereum is and Ethereum. The other networks are like train lines, and the central station is kind of like Thorchain, where you get on and off different. You switch swap between train lines, and that's kind of like the way it it, it plays out. Obviously, people with an understanding of the tech and the space are going to be like losing their shit at me for making it's like no, it's not quite like that because <laughs> the, okay, yeah, but for the boomers, that should probably work out pretty well. Hundred percent. And then who's gonna say, Well, but our chain is like the airport where you just don't even need these chain, you can just go right there and like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm not gonna get into that that allegory debate right now. Right. Yeah, I hate it when people like talk about a blockchain, they're like, Yeah, but like use this blockchain because it's like one percent faster or like you'll get one percent more staking APY if you use this blockchain, so you're foolish for using that blockchain. It's like okay. I wasn't using this blockchain for this exact percent APY. That's just mm-hmm. a benefit of it. Uh, people like to zero in on things like that. Like I always yeah. get, uh, you know, hex hex users who will be like, well, oh if God. you had actually invested that in hex, you'd be rich. So rich. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm sure you could say that for almost any coin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's pretty funny when you, when you say use this instead like the, the the shill angle is annoying, but the, it's not nearly as annoying yeah. to me as when you start it with just, because whenever someone says just do X or Y or Z, you know that they're covering for some absolute nonsense in their project. Yeah, 100%. Like, or just, they've got huge bags. Yeah, if it's, if it's just, whatever's going to follow that just is going to be some nonsense that regular people are never going to do, i.e., yeah. Just use the Lightning Network and then your fees this, or just consolidate your inputs before this, or just if they say yeah. just, it just it's never good. It's never anything good after that, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, just use Hex to buy stuff, but then you have to sell it to actually get the Dash to then actually buy the stuff. It's like okay, I'll hold Dash then, you know. Yeah, like silly. <laughs> just. Um, that seems like a pretty good wrap-up point for this whole thing. Um, chill your stuff. Tell people where they could find you and do all your stuff. Yeah, uh, you can find me anywhere under at Scott C Business, or uh, you can search up crypto and things, and you can find my podcast. I haven't really been posting to it, but I'm kind of getting everything going again uh, mm-hmm. in Q2, and uh, some of the first people that I'll have on are... Um, I'm forgetting his name, Brad from uh, Thor Swap. And mm. uh, I'll have Luke Mulks from Brave and uh, some other people on as well. And maybe I'll have you on in the first uh, little bit there as well. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, when are you going to have Richard Hart on? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to bring him on so he can just tell me I'm like an idiot and I don't know what the definition of a scam is so he can read it from the dictionary or something. But uh, maybe, maybe it'll be in the cards. Uh, I don't know. I mean, then I'd have to really dive into Pulse and I'd have to learn so much more to know how to combat with that guy. Yeah. Well, he I'm did not just, trying to learn anything about Pulse. So. He did just debate Peter Schiff, didn't he? I think he did. Oh, did he? I, I, I missed that. I have to actually look into that to make sure. I, I know it was scheduled to happen, but that's a... 
Oh, okay. That sounds like a headache waiting to happen. You know, I don't really <laughs> want to hear what either of them have to say about it, but yeah. You know. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks everyone for watching. Uh, obviously, go subscribe to all Scott's stuff. It's going to be cool. Subscribe to this channel. Um, yeah, we'll, we're going to have a, some exciting stuff coming up in the next week here. And yeah, like, comment, share, subscribe, all the other stuff. And I will see you guys next week or, you know, whenever you watch another one of my videos. So yeah, see you guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash the desert links and leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with Shop and Bit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.